Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, our desire here at the Gospel for Life is to begin the year off by helping you reclaim a high view of God. And on our last broadcast, we spoke about the strange idea that God is both uh, terrible and tender, or to use a different alliteration that he is both lion and lamb. So when we say terrible, we don't mean, we don't mean that he's bad, but that to sinners, he's terrifying. But on the other hand, God is tender and full of grace and unending kindness and mercy, and it if that seems like strange doublespeak to you, consider how Jesus is described as the Lion of the tribe of Judah and the Lamb who was slain in Revelation 5, 5 through 6. So we're going to look at this, brothers, through Isaiah 40 today. That's going to be our text where we're going to see uh, God is both uh, terrible and tender or God is both Lion and Lamb. But before we open up that, can you just tell us again, or maybe those who are tuning in for the first time, why it's important for us to see God um, as as both of these things together. Well, I, I would say mainly because it's it's important that we know the God who is the God who's revealed Himself in His Word and, and most fully through His Son, uh, Jesus Christ. But but apart from the God of the Bible, apart apart from the God revealed to us in His Word, mm-hmm. we don't know God. We we have idols of our own imagining. Um, we have popular images that we, you know we've gotten from. <laughs> from from movies, uh, you know, from from Morgan Freeman and and George Burns, uh, that's not God. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the God we dream up is a phony. Uh, look to the Word, uh, and we we all what we need is the God who is. What we need is is the real God who has acted decisively to be our to our, to be our saving God in through Jesus His Son. And apart from that, we don't know Him. Right. You know, there are theological terms about God. He's transcendent. He's high above us. He's, you know, he's totally other. And then also that he's imminent, that he's drawn near. He said, I'll be your God and you will be my people. And so we need to have both this transcendent majesty of God in our mind, but we also need to have his fatherly care in our mind, too, as he draws near to us, as he uh, comforts us, as he he says, I'll be your God. You know, we're going to be his people. So um, both those things are important for us to see uh, so that we can approach uh, this holy God. I think we also have to understand that as image bearers of God, we also have some of these same characteristics, not all of God's attributes, but some of God's attributes. But maybe the major difference between us and God is not just the degree, but also our inability to, to hold things together at the same time. So we tend to be terrible and terrifying, and that just that. Or we're tender and loving and gracious and kind, and just that. We have trouble bringing them together at the same time and being both together. God is all of who he is all the time in all of its fullness. 
And I think that's the hardest thing to, to wrap your mind around, mm-hmm. that this God of all power is also a God of all tenderness and grace and mercy and love, that the God of all wisdom and knowledge and, and insight is also a God that is righteous and just and also all of these other things all the time, all in all of its fullness. And that is so hard to wrap the mind around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we see a dichotomy where this is just God. And Isaiah 40, where we're getting to in a little bit, um, it begins with those familiar words that we know as far as comfort, comfort me, my people. But it, it launches into this section that describes God, and right before it does it, it says, behold your God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it it's, has all of this diversity of who God is, all of it's God, all the time. And that's, that's going to be the difficulty of trying to talk about this because we slice it out. I think Jonathan used the example of being a botanist that takes just one leaf of a plant. Yeah. Um, God is not just the whole plant. He's everything. And so it's yeah. hard. Yeah. Well, let's go around the table then real quick. Uh, to my left, I have uh, Pastor Phil Moran from Christ Presbyterian Church. Hey, good afternoon. Good where, to be here. Where can people go to find out about you guys? Uh, our website is Christ Press. Boise.org. Uh, come on to come on and you can check out some of my writings there and uh, find out what's going on at our church. And then to my other left, <laughs> my brother Daryl, my other brother Daryl, uh, uh, Pastor Jonathan Van Hoogen uh, from uh, Day Spring Reformed Church. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's good to be here. And you can learn about uh, Day Spring by going to dayspringboise.com or uh, also I have a Facebook page, Day for. Day Spring Reform Church. And then to my third left, I have Pastor Russ Herman from Cloverdale Reform Church. How you doing? Good. <laughs> I'm shaking my head at him. That's what I'm doing. Um, our website is cloverdaleurc.org.org. And I am Josh Bells. I'm one of the pastors at The Well Church. You can find us at thewellboise.com. Okay, so we are looking at the um, these these seemingly contradictory attributes of God, he's terrible and tender, or we could say he's majestic and meek or the lion and the lamb, and we're looking at it through Isaiah 40. So let's just go there, and um, right away in verse 1, Isaiah says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hands double for all of her sins. So can you can somebody around the table give us at least a, a brief context of what's happening here in the book of Isaiah? Well this this passage is beginning with the promise of God and it's opening up with some instruction to comfort the people of God and then uh, that's followed by um, a a oracle of one preparing the way, you know, announcing the coming of the Lord in accordance with his word. And all this is good news because uh, Israel at this time has been under captivity, and so these are good tidings. And we can also kind of uh, apply that to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ that we've experienced this at the end of this last year in his incarnation and also look forward to that coming of the Lord when he's returning again. Yeah, uh, let me dive into Isaiah 40 by saying this is one of the great chapters of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you, if you've if you ever thought about memorizing an entire chapter, uh, this would be a good one to to do. Maybe I'm giving myself a suggestion here because I haven't done it yet. But um, 
<laughs> the, the, the paradox of, of Isaiah chapter 40, and, it, and the nature of biblical truth is always paradox, uh, that it begins, comfort, comfort my people, and then it goes on to cut us down to size. God comforts us by showing us, uh, giving us a bigger vision of who, he is, who, of who he is that just cuts us down to size. And ironically, that's comforting mm-hmm. to know that we're not God. And but God is, right. and uh, to to have our pretensions pulled out from under us is ultimately comforting. It, it's it's comforting to know that I have a great God and that I'm and and I'm not Him. And uh, so, uh, in, in a way, I, I like to call Isaiah forty pruning scripture. It it, it prunes us. It, mm-hmm. it cuts us down to size. Right in in verses twelve through seventeen, you have the omnipotence of God laid out, and our comfort is based on His all powerful, the the this all powerful God, and His incomparable nature uh, that we find in verses eighteen through twenty six. And so, in that way, we're instructed not to mistrust him, but to renew our faith in him and wait for the promises that he gives. The If you just put it in its context in the book, what you have is one of the great kings of, of, of Judah here in, in Hezekiah. He, right. Other than David, probably no one equals him. Um, godly king, um, right. great reforms that had happened. Um, it's through him that, that God is going to... Um, Work is the Assyrians are at the door, and and but he's a fa- he's a faulty man, and and Isaiah um, thirty nine shows us the weakness of Hezekiah, right? That there's not enough strength even in a great king to be the one in which you need to to place your hope, and really what Isaiah is doing is saying there's going to come a day when this dynasty, this people, this kingship is going to falter and fall. And you're going to go into captivity, and these are words that they're going to to have as they go into captivity to say, "Remember who God is. You've been captured by the Babylonians. You, you're you're in captivity, but the nations are like a drop," is what he's going to say mm-hmm. in a bucket. I, I love the imagery that they're accounted as dust on the scales. Think if you went into a grocery store and you were buying some some grapes and and. Right before the, the, the person that was helping you put the grapes on the scale, you were saying, no, 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 I'm sorry. Can you dust that off real quick? I don't want to pay for the dust on the scales. <laughs> Can you imagine the look that the person's going to give you? Yeah. And God's saying, that's what Babylon is like. This great country that has overtaken you, it's just like the dust on the scales. Yeah, But he does it so masterfully in a way where he doesn't then exalt the people that he's saving. No. Because he says in verse 6 – Still in the context of comfort, comfort my people. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? This is what you shall cry. All flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Now, I understand that to me, not just the Babylonians are grass, Mm -hmm. but that all flesh is grass, including the flesh that's sitting right Mm -hmm. here. Right. And so it's not as if... Which is the words of Psalm 90, the the prayer of Moses. Yeah. Well, and as I was saying a minute ago, ultimately that's comforting to know that I'm grass. It's comforting to know that I'm temporary and God is eternal, or my life in this world anyway is temporary. I'm going to share eternity with him, but it's comforting 
to have my pretensions pulled out from under me. I want to go on to the next, very next verse. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. There's something about being up on a high mountain that, that puts human life in perspective. I'm thinking of something I read uh, years ago. Uh, a great uh, American mountaineer named Willie Unsold uh, talked about the, and he was a, a man who had summited you know great mountain peaks all over the world. He he ultimately lost his life on a, on a on a, uh, a mountain. Uh, K2, I believe it was. But anyway, uh, he talked about what he loved about being up on a high mountain peak and summiting a great peak because it made him feel so small. That there's something about standing on top of a, that huge mass that's underneath you, this mountain, and nothing around you but open space that it puts human life in perspective. And he wasn't even a Christian. He wasn't even a believer. But he talked about how he was drawn to that because it made him feel small. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news, that you'll, you'll get a new perspective on God from that place where you recognize how small you are. This is why I enjoy spending time with Phil because I learned things that I didn't know. I didn't know that you could use the word summited as a verb. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and that's just how the rest of the chapter goes, doesn't it? I mean, uh, you see God's tenderness in verse 11. Uh, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. Yeah, and he just will... before that, you see his power in verse 10. Behold, the Lord comes with might and his, right, and his arm rules for him. You know, so then he goes right to, mm-hmm. from power to tenderness. And then he goes back to power again mm-hmm. in verse 12. I, I've measured the waters with my hand. I've, I've measured uh, the heaven's span with, with, with simply walking it off, obviously imagery. But then um, – Like the span of your hand, like mine, is, is nine inches. I think mine's like three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, then, but then the rest of the chapter, right, is this language of um, – uh, to whom will you compare me? To whom will you compare me? And, and that's right. that conjoining of the line of the lamb. And we have to actually end there. The time flew but by But I do so want quick. to come back to that, who will you compare me phrase tomorrow. Okay, perfect. We'll do that. This has been the Gospel for Life. We'll see you next time.